This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I am joined, as always, by the wonderful George Smith. George, how are you doing? Oh, I'm not bad, mate. How's things with yourself? Good weekend? Yes, not too bad. Um, trip to London to, to watch Grimsby draw nil-nil with Boring Wood and stayed overnight with a, with a friend and stuff. So yeah, it was it was good. Busy weekend. Um, how were Forest? I didn't get a chance to watch them, sadly, but I know you sat down and watched them against Liverpool. I did. I watched it, and they played very, very well. Actually, they were they were unlucky. They they gave a really good account of themselves, and just one moment of quality won the game. Debatable, should it have been offside? VAR said no. I'm not so sure looking at it, but you can't lie with the with the technology we've got nowadays. So Liverpool threw it on they go, but Forest very impressive and, and a performance and a run they can be immensely proud of. Yeah, despite the FA Cup taking centre stage in some quarters, plenty of Championship football for us to unwind and dissect uh, this weekend, which I'm looking forward to doing for the next hour or so in your fine company. As always, a quick reminder to subscribe to this podcast feed, which you can get on all your usual platforms, and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. We're going to start our weekend roundup at the John Smith Stadium, where Huddersfield Town were beaten 3-0 by Bournemouth in the game's big match of the day. Um, two, of the big t- two of the top three going head-to-head. But it really was men against boys in this one, which might surprise some, but I think this was a, a clear indicator of where these two teams are in, in the table and, and their trajectories right now. It's probably the first game this calendar year where Huddersfield have been really outclassed. And that's not a slight on them by any means, because when you look at the the money spent and the two squads, they should be getting outclassed by Bournemouth, really. But we've come to expect so much more from them, the way they perform, which has been admirable. But this this was a, a case of men against boys a little bit, as I say. And I think, in fairness, this was more about Bournemouth being very, very good than Huddersfield being particularly bad. I think Huddersfield were probably slightly below the normal levels, but Bournemouth were, you know, September, October, November Bournemouth. Um, they were fantastic. Probably their best performance of the calendar year, I would say. In fact, I would say that outright. I thought they were fantastic. And the way I sort of measure that is after every goal, I sort of said, oh, that's a great goal. But after each one, it seemed to get better and better. Um, I thought they were fantastic. That it, it was a free-flowing, one-touch um, passages of play that were cutting Huddersfield's defence open with a knife, a Huddersfield defence that has been pretty decent this season, but cut through like a knife through hot butter. And they were fantastic, I have to say. Um, Bournemouth, I thought they were brilliant. I thought just the midfield, the way they controlled the game, as we spoke about on the podcast last week, Lewis Cook has been really good and starting to look like the Premier League player that he is really. If you take out the injuries, I think he would be playing regular Premier League football. Starting to get back to that best form now after a couple of bad injuries. And then you've got Philip Billing was back in instead of Todd Cantwell. And Jefferson Lerma adding that bite and energy in midfield as well. Um, and getting on the score sheet, which is something he doesn't do particularly often. But I just thought all the goals, albeit you know the, the finish for Lermas was a tiny bit scruffy, as you would say, a bit fortunate. But the build-up play was fantastic. And I, I thought Bournemouth were brilliant. And this sort of one-touch, free-flowing football is Bournemouth at their best, and that's why they're going to finish second in the Championship this season. Yeah, I would totally agree. It was a performance where they really turned the heat up in a game where they knew if they won, 
they would probably move into a position where they think they shouldn't really blow it from here. And it is hard to think that they will from this point onwards, even though things can change quickly. But they played really, really well. They turned the heat up. They were slick. They were they were really skillful with the ball. They moved it well. And they looked really confident to me. And they were enjoying what they were doing. Obviously, they go into a team that had been on such a terrific run. Obviously, they'd just come back down to earth a little bit after that defeat at Millwall in the week. But still in a terrific position. And they... They made it look easy, if anything. They played really, really well. And I think when Bournemouth have obviously... They've stuttered in the last few weeks. Obviously, the the draws with Peterborough and Reading got past Derby when they could. Obviously, had Derby got that penalty we discussed last week, could have been a very different game. They needed a performance where they really turned on the style. And that's exactly what they did. And, and what, a, what a game to do it in. So, for Scott Parker, it's the perfect way to head into the international break. And like you've said, it's... It's a performance and a victory that really should move them into position now where they shouldn't be looking over their shoulders, even though I'm sure Scott Parker and his players will be remaining grounded and not getting too carried away with themselves. But, I mean, they're six clear and they've still got two games in hand on Luton directly behind them and then three on Huddersfield, one place further back. So, things are stacked in their favour. It's in their hands. If they get If they keep winning games, they are going to be a Premier League side next season. So... Bournemouth heading in the right direction. I know, obviously, we've, we've been a little bit critical of them with them draws with Peter and Reading, but it's four and beaten. I think it's one defeat in their last nine games now. So, they're coming good again at just the right time. And the performance on Saturday, it was, it was slick, it was dynamic, and it, it, was, it was a sign that they mean business at the right end of the season. So, a good win, good performance, and three points closer to the, closer to the target. Yeah, Scott Parker agreed with our assessment, or we agree with Scott Parker's assessment, whichever way around you want to put it. But uh, he thought Bournemouth were brilliant as well. He was very enamoured with the performance. And they needed that, really, after the one-all draw and dropping points at home to Reading, having dropped points as well to Peterborough recently. So there was a, there's been murmurs of, of discontent, despite the good position. And form has definitely dropped off this calendar year. But they got that many points on the board that they probably only need to be the, the fourth or fifth best team between now and the end of the season, and they've got enough points, and they will finish in the top two. They were brilliant. For Huddersfield, obviously, it's back-to-back defeats and, and a draw before that as well. It drops them down to fourth in the table, um, only two points ahead of Blackburn Rovers, who are currently sit in sixth. I think next, and I, this might sound a bit over the top, but I think their next game against Hull City away is must-win, because after that, they've got Luton, QPR, and Middlesbrough, and that will define their Ooh. season. So I think... Having you know dropped a couple of you know dropped eight points in the last nine, especially the way they lost them at West Brom as well, they've got to be if they can beat Hull, it might just reinvigorate them, give them a bit more confidence again, because you wouldn't want to, if they lose at Hull and they're going in having one point out of the last possible twelve, um, to a, a triple header of Luton, QPR, and Borough, then the season could unwind quite quickly. Um, and don't don't get me wrong, they're still defying expectations. If they finish seventh or eighth. Brilliant season, but it will feel like an opportunity missed, I think, from for them and for their fans with the run that they've managed to put together. So I think that whole game is really key to set them up for the for the next three fixtures that will follow. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And it's it, it's the way you mentioned there about the West Brom game. And it's strange because it's almost like that literal two-minute collapse, what happened against West Brom, has had a knock-on effect to what's happened since then because... Up until that Carl and Grant penalty that night, Huddersfield were in cruise control. I watched the game in its entirety and they played really, really well. And you just thought, another three points on the board, on to the next one. And obviously, since that, they've not even scored a goal. So, it is a little bit concerning. I don't want to be too critical of Huddersfield because we've been so, so impressed by them in the last few months. And 
I stand by, like what I said last week, 17 games unbeaten. That is an unbelievable achievement, whoever you are, whether you're Fulham or Huddersfield, QPR, whatever. That is a that is a bloody good going run in the championship. So they can be proud of that. But like you say, that whole game, it is, it is must win, isn't it? Because you look ahead to those three fixtures after and, well, it could, it could, like you say, it will make or break their season. So it's going to be interesting. Huddersfield have got to get some momentum by international break. Potentially it's come at the right time for them, chance to regroup and just do a little bit of assessment on what's gone wrong in the last couple of games. But like you say, they lost to a good Bournemouth team and had Huddersfield not been on that run, we wouldn't have really thought too much of that with the quality that Bournemouth have got on paper in superior to uh, to Huddersfield. But like you say, when they've been so good in recent months, it will feel like a real sucker punch to miss out now, even though seventh or eighth, like you say, in the grand scheme of things, would be a very good achievement for what we expected back in August. But it's uh, it will feel like a really painful one if they don't make it. But like you say, whole game's massive, so we'll see what happens. I think the international break has come at the right time for them might be the theme of this podcast because I've already written it yeah. down for three other teams <laughs> other than Huddersfield. <laughs> so for you to bring that up already, this is uh, that might be a running theme. And the first One of those, those teams... Cliches. Yeah, the first of those teams is Queen's Park Rangers because they were beaten 3-1 at home by Peterborough United on Sunday. And it's only a second away win of the season for Posh. Who, who in fairness to them, showed a lot of metal after going 1-0 down at QPR. A QPR side that are pretty good at, at home against the Peterborough side that are very, 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 very bad away from home. Um, but again, this game had had sliding door moments. I think if Andre Gray heads in from close range when he hits the post already at 1-0, I think that's probably game over. I think Grant McCann would probably concede that, if we're being honest. But three goals with no reply followed shortly after. Johnson Clark-Harris with a, a fine finish, another goal from open play for him. It shows he's starting to come into a bit of form, not just from the penalty spot. And then an absolute scorcher uh, from Jack Marriott after a penalty, which Jimmy Duncan have no complaints about. And I felt like this performance was a little bit more of what I expected to see from Peterborough this season, where I know they'd be leaky. I'm not shocked they've conceded the joint most goals in the league with Reading or what, whatever the numbers are. They're, they're the worst two defences in the league. Um, I'm not shocked by that. I, wasn't, I wouldn't have been shocked by that at the start of the season. I expected more of this, going away from home and managing to score three goals at certain teams. And, you know, beating more teams at home by scoring two or three goals at a time. We've not seen enough of that. But this was a clinical performance on the road. And this was more like what I expected at the start of the season. And Marriott's certainly coming into a bit of form. Um, it, it, he's had a difficult couple of, of years because, you know, you think of the highs when he scored at Ellen Road for, for Derby. And then he had a completely injury hit season the next year. Uh, and then the year after that, with the, the loan at Sheffield Wednesday, which went horrifically, and then he barely played for Derby anyway because he was out injured. So he's had a bad couple of years, really. Um, and he's he's still been injured quite a lot of this season. But he's scored goals when he's on the pitch, and that's the big challenge. And Grant McCann's got the best out of him once before. And fingers crossed for Marriott's sake and for Peterborough's sake, he'll be able to do the same again. And that third goal showed a lot of quality. We, we would more renown that sort of goal and that sort of strike, maybe from Clark Harris, perhaps, he... We'd more say Marriott's someone that's you know a bit of a fox in the box, a really good finisher one on one, but not spectacular goals from you know twenty yards, which is what this was. And I thought Peterborough deserve a lot of credit to be fair to in the way they've come back, only a second away win of the season, as I say, on the road, and a big big win for them because with the results that we're going to talk about elsewhere, they needed to make sure that they're keeping in touching distance. Massive victory, absolutely massive victory, the first league win since the eleventh of December. So they've, they've waited a long, long time for that one. 
and and they deserved it. They really did. They fully deserved it. They they put on a show and Jack Marriott, like you say, terrific form at the minute. That's three and four for him and Peterborough as a whole. I mean, I know I've just said there it's the first win since December the eleventh, but they are beginning to turn the screw a little bit. They've only lost one of the last four now. Admittedly, they've had a couple of draws in there where they probably felt they certainly at home to Stoke maybe could have gotten more. Yeah, the Stoke game would feel like a missed we're, opportunity. We were very unlucky against Swansea as well in midweek last week where they lost very late on. So there is signs of life and that Grant McCann is beginning to get a tune out of this group of players. So he's got to look at the positives. But I mean, and we'll talk about QPR in a minute or so. And I mean, obviously they've been up and down of late and been struggling. But Maybe to still down. go to a place like that and... And win three one. That is that is a really good result for a team that have been struggling throughout the season. And like you say, with the way results have been going elsewhere in the last few last few games, it's a really big win. And all of a sudden now that bottom three is changing all the time. Obviously, Derby are now bottom. Peterborough to twenty third. They're still seven points from safety. It's a big ask, but a, a win like that can do wonders for confidence and probably for them the international break has probably come at the worst possible time to disrupt that momentum. But nevertheless, it's it's a really good win. I don't want to get too carried away because, like I say, it's a first first win since December. I don't think it's, it's right to get carried away and say they're going to go on some brilliant run. You've got to take it one game at a time. But over the course of the last four games, I have seen improvements in Peterborough. They are up in the ante, shall we say. They're not getting the, the points that they possibly have deserved. They definitely deserve something in Swansea uh, last Wednesday evening. Obviously, lost that late on to a Joel Pirro winner. But Grant McCann seems to, after a bit of a sluggish start, a bit slow and obviously an adaptation period, he's getting a tune out of his players and it's, it seems like they are warming to his tactics and his methods. And like I say, a 3-1 win at QPR, that's not to be sniffed at. So I hope for them that they can find some form and, and certainly take it down to the wire and make an interesting battle of it. For QPR, it's three wins in 13, which is very bad yeah. form to say the, the run they were on before this run. And a lot of the fans are venting at their frustration with Mark Warburton and his team selections in particular. Feels to me like they're probably the one team that maybe have gone backwards because of the January business. And which is quite funny when you consider the January business that they did last year, bringing in Charlie Austin, Johansson and co, which which kept them up, really, if we're being fair. They were looking you know, pretty doomed at that point but um, Dion Sanderson and Jeff Hendrick have come in and they've had a fair amount of minutes and it seems to have unbalanced the team completely particularly in defence with Sanderson who hasn't um, caught the eye you know he got sent off a couple of weeks ago he's been uh, you know lack of composure at times in his defending rash challenges and him coming in has completely unbalanced the back three which we saw was obviously Rob Dickey on the right Jimmy Dunn in the middle and Johan Barbie on the left natural left footer Sanderson coming in for Barbe has completely disrupted that because Sanderson's playing on the right and now Dickey's, everyone's sort of moved over left and Jimmy Dunn as a left centre-back isn't working. He doesn't offer the same attacking threat because he's not left-footed and he's coming inside every time and he's more comfortable in the centre of the defence, definitely. And I think you saw that as well with the penalty that he conceded um, against Peterborough where they were running at him and he ends up making a clumsy challenge because he's off balance and those sort of movements and dynamics, I think it's, when you're playing a back three, it's not good enough in current modern day football to say you're a centre back, you can play right centre back, left centre back, or centre centre back. It's it's a, it's complete. The, playing left centre back and playing in the middle of a defence, they're completely different positions, as daft as that might sound. And that's why we see so many full backs end up playing as wide centre backs because 
it's more akin to that position almost. So to play someone like Jimmy Dunn there, it's just not working. Um, Jeff Hendricks come in for a lot of stick as well. His career's really fallen off a cliff because I thought he'd be a great signing for QPR, but it's just not working for him at the minute. And I think the frustration is he's taking up a lot of Luke Amos's minutes, who scored, of course, today, but then was taken off after 56 minutes. And I think there's a lot of frustration that they're giving away minutes to young to the to loan players, which aren't improving the team in fans' views. But um, they've got their own players that they could give those minutes to, and they're missing out, particularly in this case of Amos, and particularly in the fact that playing Sanderson has just just disbalanced that back line. And it's hard to argue with that either. Obviously, you can look in goal as well. They've had bad injuries. Marshall's been out; is now out. Uh, Semi Dieng's been out. Kieran Westwood's been signed this week and went in goal and in fairness couldn't have done anything about any of the goals um he did well to make a decent half save for the you know for what turned out to be the rebound for Clark Harris's equalizer so things not quite right at QPR it's fair to say certainly not they are really really going backwards and it's it's almost like they're on the same trajectory as Blackburn Rovers really isn't it they've both completely capitulated in recent weeks and I mean you look at QPR's recent form, it's four defeats in five now. And obviously they got a bit of a tonking at Nottingham Forest last week, in midweek. and Again, after taking a, the lead. Yeah, that was a game where you looked at it and you thought, this is a big one that could determine the overall playoff race and everything. And, and like you say, they went in front. And they went in front against Cardiff as well a couple of weeks ago. They lost that one. So it's obviously an area that QPR are, are struggling when they're getting their noses in front and are then just seemingly collapsing. And I've seen a lot of a lot of fans on Sunday afternoon, a lot of QPR fans on Twitter really going at Mark Warburton for the first time that I've noticed it. It may have been happening previously, but I've not been checking it as closely as I did today. But there's a lot of them that want him gone. And I, I'm quite surprised by that. And I, I, think I, don't, think, gone, I don't think that's this, genuine. I, I think that's an angry reaction season. to a very poor result. I don't think, I think Most likely, given for 24 hours, 48 hours, I think a lot of those exactly. fans would, would not really say the same. But thing. I mean, seriously, why, why would you get rid of it at this stage of the season well, with a handful of games to go? They're still still in the race. And I know, like we've said, we're going to be saying this, this turn of phrase quite a few times, one way or another. The international break for them has probably come up at the right time, you would hope. Because, I mean, the form they were in between the end of November and, and January, they were absolutely flying. They were, they were, they were more top certain, two than, I think there was more chance of getting top two than falling out of the really, playoffs at that point. Really going strong. And for whatever reason, since that 1-0 defeat to Barnsley, which everybody thought would be a certain certain banker for three points, things have just unravelled I think, it, I think it was my banker that week. <laughs> it, it probably was. And looking at it today, this is... This is only the second time that they've been outside of the top six since um, early December. So it proves they've been there for a long, long time now. And just when the business end of the season is coming and the most important part of the campaign, that they're falling apart. And it is quite concerning. But like you say, the January window, what they did there, albeit with only two signings, seems to have disrupted that good work that they've done. And it's a really strange one, but you look ahead to QPR's next four games, and my word, they couldn't ask for a a more difficult schedule, really. They've got Fulham at home next, then they've got Sheffield United away, Preston away, Huddersfield away. That is a really, really tall order, that one. And particularly the games at, at Sheffield United and Huddersfield. And they've got to play Sheffield United at home as well. They've got to play them twice before the season's out because of of postponement. So... That's what I mean. It's going to be a really tough battle. And 
They're going to get there, though. They're going to have to beat some of the teams around. Exactly, them. They, they've got to. They've got no choice, and they've still got to go. They've still got and to maybe, play Derby maybe or that, for the Maybe lives. that will bring the best out of them when you look at the result last week against Luton. It is possible. You look at their remaining fixtures, and they've got they've got eight games left, and out of those eight, they are playing probably three in terms of clubs that are not going to have anything to play for other than pride between now and the end of the On season. The beach. Preston, Stoke and, and Swansea. So, like you say, they, they've got a chance. If they want it, they've got to go and beat these teams that they would be facing in the playoffs anyway if they got there. So, it's going to be really interesting to see how QPR respond after the international break. But current form heading into a game against Fulham after the, after the break, it, it's not really what you want, is it, for a, for a team that scores so frequent as Fulham? No, absolutely not. Uh, Reading won at Blackburn, Rovers nil. A massive week for the Royals in their hopes of staying above the dreaded dotted line. Big point in midweek against Bournemouth and they followed that up with a 1-0 win against Blackburn Rovers. They had they deserve to win this game, Reading. They had the best chances. Uh, Thomas Kaminsky had to be his absolute best to keep out the Royals in the first half. And it did take a 78th minute thunderbolt from Josh Lauren. Brilliant goal. The technique, the, sort of, it was... It was like an aggressive. It was like obviously it had the, the the whip of a finesse shot, um, but it had got that sort of like power behind it. It was almost like a merge of the two kind of strikes that you would see. Um, is is a Stafford George? Um, how long has it been since Reading? Like how many clean sheets? How many games has it taken Reading to get two clean sheets? Whew, God knows, a long, 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 long time. Two clean sheets in twenty-seven games. That was their second clean sheet in twenty-seven. Uh, it's actually shorter than I thought, which is which is quite <laughs> concerning in itself. Yeah, um, but a big week for Paul Ince because they'd lost the last three. Noises that he was giving out to the media, albeit completely his own fault, weren't helping matters either. But um, certainly better and raised their their performance levels in the second half at Bournemouth and pretty much for ninety minutes here they were they were the better team against Blackburn. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen the highlights of the game and and Blackburn whilst they had chances and they did. Reading, I thought, with the with the better side over the course of the ninety minutes, and obviously Josh Lawrence come up with an absolute thunderbolt to win it. And I mean, realistically, to have taken four points off two of the top six within the matter of days, it's not bad going with when you think about how poor Reading have been in recent months. So they've given themselves a fighting chance, and and obviously we've we've looked at what Paul Ince has done since going in there, and and some results have been a little bit iffy, such as the the batterings at Blackpool and Forest, but it. You know, in a strange kind of way, there has been improvements where maybe it's gone under the radar a little bit. I mean, I think he's had. What I, what I would say is that the, the bar was that low that it's probably quite difficult that to, is true. to, to get that worse. Is, <laughs> that is true. But I mean, when you think about it, when it was announced, everybody mocked it, didn't they? Everybody kind of thought, what, what are they doing going with Paul? He's been out of management for so long. But. I don't know. It's kind of a strange one. He's he's avoided defeat more than he's lost so far, so we'll give him credit for that one. So I just think it's a case for for Reading. They've got to try and got to try and just keep the momentum going. And obviously, after the international break, they've got Barnsley away, and I mean that game is just absolutely Talk massive. About six they, pointer. If they win that, if they do win that one, then I think they'll be able to breathe a little bit more easily, even though the job won't be done. But it, say they do win that, they'll go to 36, they'll be eight clear of Barnsley, who've played the same amount of games. So it would put them in a healthy position. So I would say that is the game where it's going to really determine where 
where Reading go between now and the end of the season. It's a huge one at Oakwell. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in that. But Reading, I mean, to, to have taken four points off two of the top six in the same week, it's a step in the right direction. I thought they were full value for the win on Saturday. Played well and and to me, they just looked a little bit more confident. Like they, they were keen to strut their stuff a little bit. They were playing some nice little passes and creating fashioning good chances. Lucas Rowd returns definitely give them a lift. No okay. doubt about that. They have looked more threatening with him in the team, which is expected with how good he was last season. So if they just keep plugging away, they should, should have enough. But at the minute, five points is the gap. Not six, I should say it's five. So, I don't know. They've got a chance, but the destiny's in their own hands. Yeah, it is, undoubtedly. Um, Blackburn just didn't get going in this one at all. Really disjointed performance. It, it, the formation didn't work. They kind of went for a 4-2-3-1 uh, in possession, which turned to a 3-5-2 out of possession with, with Ryan Giles playing at left back or then left wing back in possession. And Daryl Lenahan, who's obviously played on the right of that back three, sort of pushing out to right back. It didn't work. Kadra had to go off as well, who was sort of playing as the, the right winger slash right wing back. And then Ryan Giles had to go over to that side because Harry Pickering came on. It just made the team lopsided. It didn't work. And after such a, a big win and a you know a sigh of relief around the club, around the fan base with the victory in midweek, um, yeah, this 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 was back to square one a little bit, and it didn't yeah. quite work yeah. for them. They and just they just and so they much. are they are so much, but they just the the shape of the team didn't work. I think Mowbray tried to get another attacker on the pitch, but it didn't work. They're still obviously short at right wing back with the fact that Rankin Costello's had to play there because Nyambi's out injured. Um, and they just didn't get a foothold in this one. And, and the momentum's really dwindled. And I'm going to say it for the first time in this podcast, the international break has come at a very good time for them. <laughs> you would like to think so. You really would. And I've seen the highlights of the game. And whilst they were not they were far from their best black, they did, they did create opportunities. And that has been a theme of this run, hasn't it? Where they have been creating chances. And they've just not put them in the net. Obviously, they beat Derby 3-1 last Tuesday evening. But... Prior to that, obviously, they've been on such a drought in front of goal and it's continued at Reading again where they've not been able to build on that Derby win. So it is it is a concern. And like Huddersfield, if they do drop out of the top six, it will be seen as a as a major, major disappointment, even though in the grand scheme of things at the start of the season, it won't be deemed a massive failure. But when you've been up there for so long, knocking on the door, and, and they were in the top two for a while, let's not forget, it, w- it would be a major blow. But... I don't want to be too harsh. I'd like to see Blackburn in the top six. I think they deserve it. Probably more so than a lot of the teams fighting to get in there because they've, they've been up there for so long. So it's going to be interesting. But again, it's another one where their fate is in their own hands. And like I said last week and probably the week before, and I'll say it again after the international break, this this race for the top six is, is absolutely gripping. And it's going to go right down to the wire. I can see about three or four on the final day still being with a chance me. I really do. Yeah, it's certainly going to be tight and it's certainly going to go down, down to the wire. And perhaps, in my, in fact, in my opinion, I would say that the team that I would, if I could bet on one team to finish in the top six or the top, you know, four, third to sixth, because obviously the top two are pretty cemented, it would be Sheffield United. And they bolstered their hopes of doing that with a 2 0 win over Barnsley. They were good value for the win, Sheffield United, after 90 minutes. But it's fair to say at half time, Barnsley had certainly caused a few problems. and but for some sloppy finishing, could have been ahead, really, at Bramall Lane. But after the break, um, Sheffield United's pressure told. Sander Burge scored again, three goals in four for him, probably playing his best football this season after putting those injuries behind him. Playing in a more advanced role with 
Gibbs, White and Burge pretty much tasked with uh, supporting Billy Sharp, who went off with a, a bit of a concerning hamstring injury. So waiting to see the extent of that because Sheffield United have obviously got um, Brewster out at the minute, McGoldrick's done for the season as well. And they're another team, George, where the international breaks come at a good time. And that's not because of the form, but it's because they're expecting five players back after the international break. Hopefully a two-week break will help with Sharp's hamstring problem as well. And that will undoubtedly make them stronger because I think that's been the biggest reason for some of the results that are slightly not quite as good as we've seen prior. They have still taken 29 points from their last 16, which is just shy of automatic promotion form, really. And as I say, if I had to pick one team that were definitely going to finish in, in those playoff places, for me, it would it would be Sheffield United. I think they've got the best form, they've got the best momentum, and I think where they have dropped points recently, or not not even that many, but you know the the draw at the defeat at Millwall, for example, um, losing to Coventry, I think you can explain them because of the injuries they've got. You know they haven't got a right wing back at all, um, they've not got free strikers that they would like to have off the bench. So I think for me, Sheffield United are the team that certainly are most likely to finish in the top six for me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we didn't, we on the on the podcast last week, we picked out the four teams we think will we'll get in there and the Blades were one of them that we agreed on. I, I think they will get in there. Uh, and like you say, they between, well, since Paul Heckingbottom got the job until now, they've been on a terrific run of form. They've lost three games since Paul Heckingbottom got the job and They've obviously been absolutely fantastic at home and they've got, I think it's five of their last seven, I think they've left four of the last seven, something like that, are at home. So you would really like to think Sheffield United would get the job done and get over the line. And I mean, I've not seen a lot of the Blades in terms of full matches. I watched them against Nottingham Forest and I didn't think they were that good that night. Forest were far superior in my opinion. But then I watched them a few days later against Middlesbrough and they were absolutely outstanding. So it proves what they are capable of and they really have started to come to the fore now. And, and Sander Burge is obviously popping up with a few goals at the minute. He's on a bit of a hot streak. Morgan Gibbs-White has been outstanding. Another lovely composed finish from him at the weekend. And I think, like you said, with the injury issues that Paul Heckingbottom's faced, who have kept that momentum going so well, he deserves huge amounts of credit for. And I think come the end of the season where you are picking out your manager of the season, in a season where there's so many candidates for a variety of reasons... He could be thrown into that equation quite easily. He's done a terrific job. I think Sheffield United would have to get promoted for him to get that. Possibly so. but I, I don't think, think a playoff finish would be enough. I think they would have to get promoted. But when you consider where they were... Yes, I'm only judging that against, obviously, and, Huddersfield, yeah, know, Derby and Luton. But I think as well at the same time, when you look at, let's be honest, how everybody absolutely ribbed Sheffield United for that appointment and was mocking it and basically what on earth are you doing? I think you've got to give a lot of credit to Paul Heckingbottom in the sense that he's defied defied the odds of people mocking him, basically, and, and taking the mick out of him. So, huge credit to him. Big win against Barnsley, like you say, and quite easily could have been a goal down at half-time. Terrific save by Wes Fodringham, who's been excellent, it must be said, in recent months. It's been absolutely terrific. League One, Wes, so, no longer. Exactly, League One, Wes, indeed. But after um, after four, four games without a clean sheet, it's back-to-back clean sheets now as well. So, that's another step in the right direction. And, like you say, with a patched-up squad in some parts, I think Sheffield United are in a really strong position. And if they keep this up, I think they are certain of a of a top six top six finish. Just looking ahead to their next few games after the international break, and they've got Stoke away, 
QPR at home, Bournemouth at home, Reading at home. So it's a bit of a mixed bag of what they've got to come. But with three of the next four at home, it's a real opportunity to lay down a marker and, and tighten that grip before the, uh, the last couple of games of the season. The big winners of the weekend, as well as Sheffield United, were, of course, Luton Town, who moved up to third in the table with a 3-1 victory away at Hull City. They were the better team for the entirety of this game. Hull was second best, although Hull's XG was actually quite higher than I thought when I looked back on the um, on the stats on Infogol. Um, nonetheless, Luton were definitely the best team and deserved the victory. They've got a bit of a patched-up team at the minute in terms of centre-backs because their back five was made of um, three full-backs, a winger and a centre-back in a back five. they got Onya Dimmer playing right uh, wing-back who obviously came on as a substitute in midweek um, for... Um, oh, what's the former Hull centre off? He left for Hull. Reese Burke for Reese Burke came on for Reese Burke. That was the one. Um, I can see his face and just come back. Um, James Bree had to go from right wing back into right centre back. Um, they've already got uh, Amir, uh, Amir Bell's obviously playing on the left hand side. They've already got another centre half playing in that back three as well. So it's a patched up defence. They've only got one centre half in there, but it was another really good performance. And having that extra attacker is paying dividends at the minute. James Bree scored the goal of the game. Absolute stunning free kick. Probably the goal of the weekend. Him and Jack Marriott will, have, will have fight that one out. I'd like to see that scrap. That would be an entertaining battle. Um, big week for them. Big, really big week for Luton. Six points after you know after losing the lead against QPR in the fashion they did after you know being one 0 up and throwing that away. Some questions would have been asked: Is the sustainability there for them? Absolutely smash Preston in midweek. You know that could have been six or seven genuinely, but a four 0 victory. And then a, a slightly more professional performance. But, you know, it was 3-0 up until stoppage time. It was only a last-minute consolation for Hull. They were the best team by far. They're up to third. Are they going to finish in the playoffs, though? Well, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? If you think back, I don't know, four or five weeks, I was I was quietly fancying Luton when they were creeping up, wasn't I? Saying that they could Do you fancy them now? Watching. Do you think they're finishing the top six? It's a hard question to answer, but with Huddersfield faltering, Blackburn faltering, I, th- I think they've got a chance. But we know how. Well, we know they've got a chance. I want to know if you are they going to finish in the top six, yes or no? Oh come on then, let's go bold. Luton fans all love it. I'm going to go. Yeah, they're up to third. They're having the time of their lives. I don't think. Let, they're let's go playoffs. for it. I mean, and let's not forget as well, they pushed Chelsea all the way in the FA Cup as well. So they've been on a hell of a run. 2022, really. Obviously, the Luton had a couple of games postponed, didn't they, at the start of the year? They didn't even get their first league game off until the 15th of January. So, and that was from the 11th of December. They went a month without playing, let's not forget. They had a month off in this season from league action through no fault of their own at all. So, it's been a remarkable run that they've been on. And Nathan Jones deserves such amounts of credit for what he's achieved with that team this this season. Because let's not forget, they've got the smallest budget in the league by probably a mile. On a shoestring of that. They have. They don't boast the best squad in the world, but what they do boast is they boast a group of players that work hard for each other, fight for the badge, and absolutely give absolutely everything. And when they're on it, they are a talented team, and they have got flashes of quality dotted around the team, such as Harry Cornick. His form's gone under the radar this season. I think it's ten goals now. Adebayo's got fourteen. James Bree, obviously, his first goal at the weekend of the season, but has done it, done a very good job at right. Got a few scorers from midfield as well, with Alan yeah. Campbell and Luke Berry, which Luke Berry, have both yeah. chipped in at different times this season. Yeah, so they've got goals coming from all directions, and when you think about at the start of this run that they went on, they were about thirteenth in the table to have climbed to third in two months, just over. 
is a remarkable effort. And who's dropping out then, by the way? Because you did your top six last week and Luton weren't in it. So I know are you I taking did. Hud- are you taking Huddersfield last... out? Oh gosh, I think you have you're to. Not, you're not stage. allowed. You're not allowed five teams. That's not how it works. I know you're not. This is the problem. I could put eight in this race. This is the really hard thing. I've never. Uh, you've given it. Like you've given it. it large, and you know I'm so going to put it go... the soundbite on Twitter. You so you've got to say who you've. Who you've I know taken you are. I'm going to take Huddersfield out, but you asked me again in two weeks, and that'll probably change again. Yeah. This is just crazy. This run, it really is. But you know, I'm going to stick by my beloved Nottingham Forest. You know, I'm not going to ignore them. Not not due to the fact I've got money on them going up, of course not. But I think Luton at the minute have just got such belief and momentum flowing around that squad. And the thing is, because it's such a fairy tale type story, the fans are going to be absolutely up for every single kick now between now and the end of the season. Because if they get in the playoffs, whether they go up or not, it'll be such a huge achievement. And for me, their next two games are by far the most important because they've got Millwall at home, Peterborough away. Because after that, they go to Huddersfield and then they've got Forest at home. So the next two are really ones they do really need to at least probably get four points from at the very least ahead of two huge showdowns. So they're in a good position. They're third in the table. The fans are having the time of their lives. They're playing good football. And let's be honest, Nathan Jones, another contender for manager of the season, whether they finish in the top six or not. Terrific work. I feel like Luton are now the, you know, we saw Blackburn do it. Sort of early in the season, we saw Huddersfield do it. Now starting to fade so away. Coventry I feel Lu- do it. <laughs> so Coventry do it, obviously right at the start. I feel Luton are now the next ones coming up, but they're doing it probably at the best step. Well, they are doing it at the best time because well, honestly, they've actually got a chance. And they've still what a season though it's been. Oh, it's fantastic. We love the playoff process. It's, it's our favourite part it of the division. Really it has. It has. It's it's been bad. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, final game of the weekend to wrap up: Stoke City two. Millwall nil. Uh, George, if I told you that one team were unbeaten in eight games, playing a team that hadn't won in eight games, obviously Stoke City 2 Millwall nil makes perfect sense for the scoreline because this is the championship, you have to remember. Um, Jacob Brown with goal number 11 of the season. I really like Jacob Brown. I think he's been a bit of a shining light in this season, certainly in the last few months where form's been crap. Um, I would build the team around him. I, I think you build the team around him up front and, and Tyrese Campbell. I think 4-3-3 rather than 3-5-2 is the way to go. I think Campbell on the right, Jacob Brown down the middle because he can do a bit of everything. You could even play Jacob Brown out wide if you wanted to. Um, and then someone from the left, Maja, right, Phillips, whoever you fancy, they've got an abundance of options coming from that side as well. And then Powell, Vrancic, um Lewis Baker, you can't really leave out at the minute. That's probably three technical midfielders and that probably would get overrun slightly. Joe Allen's probably going to be in there somewhere. They've got options and I think 4 3 is the way to go with the attack talent they've got. They need to get more players on the pitch. And for me, between now and the season, it's more they need more results like this. They need to start getting back towards a team that has momentum and could finish in the top six next season. Um, because I think Michael O'Neill's at a very, um, you know, he's at a bit of a crossroads. I think some fans probably want to see him see the season out. I think we're a bit conflicted because I think we think he's a good manager and probably the right fit, but we can't get away from the results and the drop-off in form for a second season in a row. And there's less excuses this time with the business that they did in January. So, difficult one. He needs a good run between now and the end of the season. I think, more importantly, even though his team's sort of on the beach, really, because they can't do anything, um, they really need to build momentum and get some results on the board just for just for everyone's confidence levels and just to keep the mood 
as light as possible around the Bet365 Stadium. I think that's really important for Michael O'Neill between now and the end of the season. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's been a been a weird collapse, hasn't it? But it's happened again for the second season running. But credit where credit's due, it was a good win at the weekend against a, a very much informed Millwall side that had been obviously watertight like hell defensively, five clean sheets in a row, eight unbeaten. They were going really, really well. And like you say, just one of those games where the championship does what the championship does. So really good win for Stoke, but it's just a case of now they've got to build on it, just try and finish the season as strongly as possible. But what I will say is, what a piece of business the signing of Lewis Baker was. I mean, who saw that coming? He's been absolutely outstanding, hasn't he? He's been been terrific. And I think that could go down as one of the most surprising signings of the season for the impact. Do you know what had. I would say? He's been very good, but how do you get him and Vrancic in the same midfield? It's one or the other. And Vrancic was thing, isn't it? Vrancic was probably doing as well as Baker was before Baker came in. So they've not really gained anything because they lost Vrancic. It's the, it's sort of like the same sort of thing because you can't play Vrancic, Baker, and Nick Powell if he's fit. You know, that just doesn't work as a midfield three. You need Joe no. Allen or Thompson, someone who can break the play up. So for me, I still don't think Lewis Baker gets in their best team when everyone's fit, because I think I'd probably have Vrancic. Yeah, I am a big fan of Vrancic, and you'll remember back to the start of the and season. I've not even mentioned Romain Sawyer's in that. Your 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 hero, Romain yeah, He's Sawyer's. gone off the boil a little bit now. I'm not, I'm not as enamoured yeah, anymore. Your, your favourite player of all he time. He was 18 Sawyer. months ago, not anymore. I'm a fake fan. Brennan, Brennan Johnson's got that title now. Yes. But no. Or Tyree I mean, Stolen. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like you say, it's a difficult one for Michael O'Neill, isn't it? But it, it's it's good to have those sort of options, but how do you keep it all together and everybody happy? That's the problem. But Lewis Baker, I mean, credit to him, he's coming, he's, he's scoring goals, he's creating goals, so he's he's done what he was asked to do. But it's just unfortunate that those around him have not really had the same sort of level of performance in recent weeks, but... A good win for them on Saturday. Now they've just got to build on it and, and just try and keep going. But they've got some tough games lying ahead. I think it's Sheffield United next. So it's just a case of hopefully building on it. But I don't think you can get too carried away after one win in something like eight or nine games. So we'll see what happens. But like you say, Stoke, the season's fizzled out a long time ago. It's just about playing with a bit of pride, isn't it, up to the end of the season and see what happens in the summer. Because the question is for Stoke, like you say, they're a bit of a crossroads. Is it time to make significant changes, tiny little tweaks. Who knows? We'll see what happens. But I think Michael O'Neill remains the, the man for the job, even though the form I've seen in the last couple of months has been really, really bad. Feels like the end of Millwall's playoff hopes, as however faint they were, um, for me anyway. It was a brief flirtation. It's been, it's been it? a good run from Gary outside and they were always going well, to have a They were always going to have a blip, but... They're only four points off, so I don't think you can rule them out. It's when not about the points, it's about how much traffic is in front of them. True, that is true. I see your point, but I think while they're mathematically still in with a shout and it's only four points, I, I don't think not you can me. rule them out yet. They're not, I'm they're really, not a team I'm, that I'm officially ruling, I'm ruling them out. They're not a team that I would favour in terms of above Forest or, or Middlesbrough, for example, but I don't think you can just say now it's game over after one defeat in nine. I, I don't no, and this like is what that. I'm trying to but say. I get your point. I get your point. Yeah, I'm trying to say they're always going to have a run and they're always going to have a blip, sorry, in this run. And I'm not saying oh, it because God, yeah. they've lost. Like every team does. It's been a great run of form, but I think they've just got, there's too much traffic in front of them for me and better teams, ultimately, in my opinion. I think Millwall have had a good run, but I think there's better teams oh, ahead of them. a great run. Um, 
I think the penalty was harsh, by the way. I don't think it was a penalty uh, on uh, on Tom Bradshaw. So a bit of justice when when Jack Bonham saved it ultimately, and that pretty much rounds off the uh, the Saturday action. Of course, we've got a few draws as well, which we're going to dissect through. Uh, Bristol City two, West Brom two. Um, another goal and assist for Andy Vyman. Where would they be without him? If without him Who and knows? Semenyo. Um, to be fair, Semenyo went off very early in this one, taken off with injury. So um, they didn't collapse when that happened. Narky Wells coming on and getting on the score sheet as well. Disappointed, or certainly Nigel Pearson was in his post-match press conference to have, in the manner of the two goals they conceded, just sloppy goals. Um, penalty, no complaints. Daniel Bentley fouls whoever it was. Bartley, was it? Or a Jay? Um, no complaints about that. So definite penalty and, and a, another point for West Brom. Their season's over now, unfortunately, for them. And it'll be interested to see what Steve Bruce does with that squad in the summer. And then Derby won at Coventry won. Um, this does feel like a bit of a nail in the coffin for Derby with the results that went elsewhere. Wins for Reading and Peterborough and the general form we've seen of Barnsley in the last few weeks. Lovely, lovely team goal we saw with uh, Matt Godden and, and Callum O'Hare exchanging passes for the for the former to fire into the corner. And that was a lovely goal. In fact, I would put terrific. a different kind of goal, but I would put that up there with with the Bree and the uh, the Marriott goals. Yeah, oh god, yeah, it, it was, was good for me. It was put it put it this way: if say Manchester City had done that match of the day and Sky were playing it on repeat, yeah, put it you, that way. You love it was a lovely that. goal, you love lovely, lovely that, goal. Though. Yeah, it really was it's true. Uh, Derby penalty was dubious to say the least. I think it's fair to say you could say that. Yeah, I don't think it was a penalty, um, but a, a point's not enough. And, as I sort of highlighted last week, the away form is bottom three away form. It puts a lot of pressure on the home form to get out of it. Um, they're now eight points adrift of safety. They've actually played a game extra than all the three teams above them as well. I think I think it might be game over for Derby. And that's sad to say because they've given it such a good go. And oh, ultimately, been... if you put the 21 points back on, they'd be uh, 17th. So yeah, they've given it off the field, effort, things have relegated them, unfortunately. Like you say, it's, it's eight points. It's the form obviously has it has dwindled, hasn't it, in the last few weeks. Yep. It's looking slim. Not mathematically impossible, but seven games to go. Ready and Barnsley Peter all got a game in hand on them. Yeah, I, I would be inclined to think it's game over, but even if it is, I mean, they've given it everything. That group of players and Wayne Rooney can be immensely proud of what they've done. Absolutely, and you know they'll still hand out a few more bloody noses between now and the end of the season. Oh, even definitely, if, I'm sure of it. Even if it's in vain. And then Swansea nil, Birmingham nil. I don't think I've ever seen a game finish nil-nil where one of the teams racks up an XG of 2.92. So Birmingham should have scored three goals. Swansea also should have scored a goal. So should have finished 3-1 and had four goals. It finished nil-nil. I don't know how Birmingham missed some of those chances. Absolute sitters. Um, they could have probably played for another hour and they, they wouldn't have scored. But they probably would have racked up days. another XG of uh, three or so. So I think it's important we saw some life in terms of the performance because they were really abject in midweek against Middlesbrough when they lost 2-0. Um, so I think just a better performance, showed more attacking threat definitely and really should have come away with all three points. And that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. If you do enjoy the podcast, please make sure you are subscribed in your usual podcast app and make sure you're following us on, on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. Sharing the podcast helps go a long way to helping us reach new listeners. So if you do enjoy our weekly breakdowns, please make sure you drop a retweet when the episodes go live. You can support this podcast as well with our Ko-Fi page, contributing the cost of a cup of coffee towards our monthly overheads on a one-off basis. The link in 
is in the description below if you do feel so inclined. Have a great week and we'll catch you again next Monday for a special international break edition of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.